Freshwater. Uh, so thankful everybody is here today. So good to see you all. Um, I'm excited about the text that we have today. So let me just start with this. It's, it's just so tempting. You know what I mean? You probably don't know what I mean, right? You ever say that? It's just so tempting. Tempting? I think that's something that we say pretty oftenly, right? It's just so tempting. Maybe you don't say it, but we've all heard it. It's something that we almost say um, flippantly, right? You have a good meal, and you're at somebody's house, and they offer you dessert, but you're not really eating desserts. You're trying to be, but it looks so good. You're like, oh, it's so tempting, right? Or, you know, someone asks you to go out and do something, but you plan on staying in for the night, and you're kind of settled on it, but the, what, the whatever they suggest, it like just sounds like so much fun, and you haven't seen them for a while, and you're like, oh, it's just so tempting. But if you're me, you're still going to stay home anyway. Or maybe it's a beautiful day outside, and you know you've got a sick day, and it's been miserable forever, and you're like, I know I can get away with using this sick day today. It'd be totally cool. Man, it's so tempting. It's so nice outside. So it's something that we just kind of say. Like I said, it's kind of almost flippantly, we kind of use that language, like kind of in the same way we say we love everything when you don't literally love everything, but we say it. But here's the thing. Temptation might be the single biggest battle of our lives, yet we use that phrasing so flippantly, and I'm not giving anybody a hard time about that, but that's just the reality of it. It might be the, the biggest struggle of many of our lives. So just in case you haven't been with us, we're walking through our series on prayer. This is our second to last week. We're actually going to wrap up our passage today kind of on prayer and then, and then kind of do an overview next week. And I'm really excited about what we're going to do next week, but we'll get to that then. But if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And we call it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus said, hey, the disciples said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, this is how you pray. Not you pray exactly like this, but it's an example. And so we've used the Lord's Prayer to kind of be our anchor text, our, our foundation for looking through the rest of Scripture at what the Bible says about prayers, and then we've looked at a lot of other prayers just to give us, an exam- give us examples of what we're looking for. And so with all of those examples, we've, we define prayer, and we, we define prayer in a certain way, lots of ways to define prayer, prayer but I just I want to make sure, this is a lot of pressure, right? But I want to make sure, is there any kid from the elementary class that wants to give us the definition of prayer? Titus, go for it. Boom! Did you hear him? Yeah. Do we have the definition over there? It's a personal conversation with God and an spiritual and a spiritual encounter with God. Right? Way to go, Titus. So we actually see that in the prayer, don't we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen, it's really personal. We get to call God Father. And that Greek word that goes back to the Hebrew that Jesus used, if you remember, is a very personal, very intimate word. Like a, a, the word a child would use with his dad that he trusts. It's personal. It's a personal conversation. This is a personal relationship, but it's also spiritual, right? It's about hallowing God's name, making much of God's name, praising his name, but it's also like seeking his kingdom and his will and what he would want, and it's coming to God with our needs, whether that's physical, emotional. It's coming to God when we need forgiveness, when we need to help him help us forgive other people. It's a very spiritual thing. It's asking God to transform our spirit to be more like the Holy Spirit, to be more like Christ. So it's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual encounter with God. And so you see that in the passage. So here's what I want to do. I want, to, I want us to read the Lord's Prayer for the second to last time. We're going to read it one more time next week. But as we get to the end, I want you to see the last part of the prayer is verse 13 is where we're going to land today. So if you got your Bibles, open up to Matthew 6. Let's read it again. I'm hopefully by, about, by now, if you've been through this series, you've got this memorized if you didn't already. Pray then like this. This is Jesus. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And here's our verse for this week. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But deliver us from evil. Now, that's a big one. Deliver us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. I'll just say that this week, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a, in a minute. But you start thinking about temptation, you start thinking about evil, be careful. This week, I knew I was going to be preaching on this, and temptation tried, came after me and tried to hit me like a freight train. Temptations I haven't felt in a long time. Not like subtle either, like it was a Mack truck trying to run me over. And so I, I have no power on my own to resist temptation or evil, and neither do a lot of us. So before we actually jump into this today, and we start thinking seriously about this today, I'm going to ask God to guide us and protect us today as we talk about these things. Pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here today. God, to worship you, to worship you in song, to worship you as we go through the word, our kids back there and, and his kids worshiping in the elementary class, worshiping God, just trying to make much of you. Because God, I think most of us in this room have realized that we are not the answer to being good enough that you are, God. And so God, I, be, I pray you be with us today. Holy Spirit, come through your power, through your truth, through your comfort, through your goodness, through your holiness, transform us. God, I, today I also come with our daily need today, along with everything else. We need your protection. We need protection against our own hearts that, that long to do the wrong things. We, we pray for protection against evil that wants to destroy us. God, without you, we have no hope, but within you, we have all that we'll ever need. So God, we pray that you would guide us today. Give us wisdom today and humble us before you so that we might glorify you and be transformed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to read it one more time. Right? I want you to look at the words, I want you to think about the words, kind of meditate on it for a second, because many of you have heard this a hundred times, but verse 13 says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I've been doing this lately though, but if you have the ESV version, that's what we use at church. There's other good versions of the Bible, that's just the one that we use. In the ESV, do you guys see that little number four by evil? Go to the bottom of the page, and you look for the four, it says, or the evil one. That's a really helpful thing because it's, Greek words don't always translate exactly into English, so this can be evil or it can be the evil one. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But there's, before we get to any of that, there's, there's, a, there's kind of this obvious question when we, when we read, lead us not into temptation. And I don't know if you've asked this yourself this yet, but the question that, that comes up a lot when people read this is, does God actually lead us into temptation? It's asking God not to lead us there, so does God lead us actually into temptation? Well, that's an interesting question. I want to address that. But before we do, I want to make sure we understand what temptation is and we're all on the same page. And so I've got a definition of temptation. And this is just, this, there's lots of definitions you could use, but here's, here's one I came up with. Temptation is this. It's the longing to give into our desires that are at odds with God's commands or his desires. Right? The longing to give into our desires that are at odds with God's commands or his desires. Now, if you're human, or if you're old enough to, to actually be able to process the difference between right and wrong, you know what temptation is. You do, right? Like, ki hey, kids in the room, I'm, I'm going to show you just how we all know. You guys ready? Hudson, you ready? How many of you, be brave, right? It's okay. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you, at some point in your life, have known what your parents wanted you to do, 
but in your heart, you wanted to do something different. Whether you did it or not, I'm like, I really want to do the opposite of what my parents want me to do. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Now, there you go. Kids, parents, keep your hands down. You get your turn. This is about the kids. Don't make it about you. All right. Way to be brave. Hudson tight. Way to be brave, guys. Okay, you ready? Now, kids, watch this. You, you ready? I want you to watch. Parents, adults, people who are not kids, if you have ever done a thing been tempted to do or actually did something that you knew God didn't want you to do, raise your hand. Now, kids, look around the room. I just want you to see kids and adults. This includes everyone. Adults feel that way sometimes. We know that you feel that that way sometimes. Everybody has felt tempted. Now, we could go on for an hour about all the things that tempts human beings, couldn't we? But here's what I want you to do. I I want you to actually think about what tempts you to sin. Now, we're not, talking about, we're not talking about actual sin yet. Tempts you to sin. And hear me, I don't want you to think about this in theory. Right now, I want you to process the temptation that can typically come into your life. And it may be seven different things, but I want you to have them in your mind because we're going to think about them today. And we're going to pray about them today. And we're going to process what temptation and temptation that leads to sin is all about. So have it in your brain. Because there's obvious ones like sexual sin, Right? It would be hard for me to list the amount of people that have been led astray by sexual sin. People who have desires, and listen, if you're an adult especially, we understand those desires. But how many people have been led astray when what they want to do, and they know what they want to do, and they absolutely know what God is commanding, yet they still choose to do it their own way because they desire to pursue sexual things in the way they want to pursue them. I cannot list the amount of people that have been led astray in their faith by sexual sin. It is so dangerous, but I think people might choose that almost more than anything now in our culture because it says it's okay. Temptation is not the problem. It's the temptation that leads to sin. But we could say the same thing about money, couldn't we? Money and whatever money we feel like money gives, maybe it's just greed or maybe it's comfort or maybe it's control or whatever else. We could talk about food. We're going to see in a minute Jesus was tempted by food. We don't think about food, but food is a thing that tempts us to live in a way that God's asked us not to live. We don't treat our bodies and the food that he's given us as a blessing in the way we're supposed to. Which kind of leads to the next one, addiction and pleasure. pleasure. We're addicted to pleasure and finding pleasure in ways that God did not intend for us to find pleasure. We have laziness and giving into anxiety and worry and fear, not having those, giving into those things. Anger, pride, control, causing divisions, gossiping about people. Man, we could go on and on, couldn't we? As Paul would say, is Paul will list out things like this, and he'll say, and things like these, things that we know. That's kind of a catch-all. So which of these, or a numer- just numerous other things, are likely to tempt you? Most likely. We can be tempted by anything, but most likely. Keep it in your mind. Because we have got to pray about those things constantly, and we're going to talk about that as we go. Now, before we move on again, we just kind of kind of make caveats as we go. I want to make something really, really clear. You need to hear this. You probably know this, but you need to hear it. Temptation is not a sin. Hey, teenagers, temptation is not a sin. Now, you may be tempted by sinful things. It may come into your brain. You may desire it for a minute, and Satan will use that to accuse you, make you feel shame, make you feel guilt, make you feel like you're a terrible person. Listen, temptation's not the problem. Jesus himself was tempted, wasn't he? 
We're in Matthew 6. Just go back a couple chapters. Read Jesus' temptation in Matthew 4. Jesus was tempted by the devil. Listen, I'm going to guess you're not important enough to be tempted by the devil himself. Demons, absolutely. Spiritual forces, we'll get there. But the, the, Satan himself came to Jesus, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days by himself. And he tempted him with things that are tempted with us. Like, listen, Jesus was tempted by food. You think, you think eating the wrong way is not tempting? He was tempted with pride. How many people are brought down by pride? He was tempted with power, yet Jesus never sinned. I think we have Hebrews 4 over there, don't we? Hebrews 4 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And what weaknesses? But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to what? Help in the time of need. Now listen, Jesus had to feel desires to be tempted. He was human. But he didn't give in to those temptations. And so we don't let temptation be the thing that derails us. A lot of us, when we feel tempted, when we have the wrong thoughts in our brain, we tend to run away from God because it's like we're, we're not good enough for God. No, he's saying, I understand. Listen, do you think about God that way? He understands. Jesus came so that you would know that he understands. He understands so that you can run to him. In the time of need, in your weakness, God knows you're going to be weak in this. He wants to show you his grace. He wants you to show, show you his mercy. He wants you to come to him. He wants to help you. I just want you to think about who our God is for a second. I've got two, two teenagers. One is 18. By the way, he's 18 today. Get a chance to say, yeah. He's not in there. He's not going to appreciate your claps, but I do. He's back there working with the kids because that's who, that's who Jack is, right? But I got an 18-year-old and a 14-year-old. <clears throat> They're going to be tempted, right? Is there any time in your life where things get as confusing as they do when you're a teenager and everything's changing and you're becoming an adult, right? So when my kids, I hear, I know that they're tempted. Do you think my attitude is, man, how dare you feel that way? Listen, you better not give in to that. You, you better not let me down. You better not screw that up. Do you think that's how I view that? Or for my kids, do you think I want my kids to know, listen, I understand I've been there. I know where you're coming from. I know how you feel. I know what you're struggling with. And listen, I'm here to help you through that. You don't have to give into that temptation. You don't have to give into that thing. Listen, I'll walk through it with you because I know what's right. Let me help you. Which one do you think probably reflects who I am? I mean, it's just obvious the second one. Why do we treat God sometimes like he's different than that? We're created in his image. If we are his child, listen, he wants you to come and you'll grow in the coming. Your confidence in Christ in you, not in yourself, not in your willpower, but your confidence in Christ will grow. Of course, it's the second one. We want to fight for our kids and God wants to fight for you. Now, now that we kind of got that settled, let's go back to this tricky phrasing in verse 13 where it says, lead us not into temptation. So do you think God tempts us? You don't need to raise your hand. If we don't have clarity on that, when we read something like that, lead us not in temptation, it might sound like God tempts us. This is why we, let, we use the phrase, let scripture interpret scripture, right? This, this verse doesn't exist in isolation. And so there's a great passage that helps us out with this. It comes from Jesus' brother, James. So in the book of James, Jesus' own brother speaks directly to this. And here's what he says in James 1, 12 through 15. Got it. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And what trials is he talking about? For when he has stood the test, right, the trials, the tests, 
he will receive the crown of life, which means eternal life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's pretty clear, right? But each person is tempted when he is lured and when he is enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived, right? Desire is not the problem. It's when desire gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. That's what scripture is talking about constantly, right? We walk in sin, it leads us into death. God is not capable of evil. And he himself tempts no one to do evil. We are fully, always, fully responsible for our actions, for our desires, and ultimately, if we, those desires give birth to sin. So that clearly states that Christ is not saying that God tempts us into sin. So what is it saying? Well, what James said is God will allow us to be tested, right? That sometimes there are trials, right? And I just want you to realize, when it says that God is testing us, do you think it's because God's trying to figure out where our faith is? I think sometimes we think that in our brains, right? Like, why is God testing me? Like, and we think it's like God trying to figure out. Like, obviously, he's God. Obviously, he knows. Listen, the test is for you. The test is for me. It's for the refining of your faith so that you see where your faith is, so that you might see it and grow and confess and talk to the Lord about what you need. Peter says it like this when it comes to tests in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. Got that one? First Peter? Yep, good. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various, here's that word again, trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, as we are tested, like as we suffer, as temptation comes, we learn to turn to Christ. We learn to turn to Christ in that testing. What what does it do? It grows our faith. It leads to praise. It leads to the glorification of God that ignites in our hearts and in our souls. And that leads to what? Rejoicing. We rejoice with, listen, genuine happiness. You see, that, that, that's what the trial is really about. You growing in God and knowing who he is and having what Jesus says, my joy, have my joy in you and that your joy, your happiness would be full in Christ. This is even what the, the temptations, this is what the testing. So God at times does allow you to be tempted. It doesn't that he causes it, he'll allow you to be tempted so that we can fully recognize that this isn't about us having more willpower. This is about us learning to turn to Christ in the trials, in the testing, in the tribulation, so that we might learn that our resisting comes from him. Because if we try to resist on our own, listen, we're just done for. I mean, how many of you honestly in this room could stand up with confidence and say, when it comes to sin, man, when I try to resist, I resist every time. Now, sometimes I don't pay enough attention, so sometimes I'll sin, yeah, but when I'm trying, there's no stopping me. Anybody want to stand up and claim that one? Mr. and Mrs. Self-Righteous, right? That, if you feel that way, you're probably really prideful and self-righteous and you're, you're in just as much or more trouble than before, right? It's, it's coming from learning to res- resist in Christ. One of the most important passages in my life is uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We don't have that on the slide today, so if you want to turn there, you can. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13. I was talking with someone just this morning about temptation and, and how important it is for us to have those verses in our life that really speak to our hearts and our minds and our souls. Because for everybody, I think there's different passages that really speak to you. They're all of value, right? All of these are value. But this just happens to be one of those that just speaks directly to me because it reminded me and all my, it reminds me in all my temptation and all my struggles that there's someone greater than me that wants to deliver me from, from those temptations. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will, not you, he will also provide the way of escape. That, I love this, this is a promise, that you will be able to endure it. Not you might be able to endure it. You will through what he has done. And church, the thing I've thought about over and over is the way he provides the way of escape is through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. By looking at that temptation saying, no, that's a lie. I am a child of God. That is true. In my deepest parts of my heart, this is not what I want. I want Jesus. This thing's lying to me, telling me this is what I want. But like the Holy Spirit, well, in those moments when I, when I really used to struggle with temptation and sin, would start bringing scripture that I knew to mind in that moment when I needed it to be my strength, to be the sword that I slayed temptation with. Right? So the way of escape is God himself, not more willpower. He provides the way of escape. What are those passages for you? You need to find them. You need to find those passages that the Holy Spirit speaks to you that gives you strength. And this is one that's been a part of my, uh, my, part of my journey of walking out of sin and into truth and holiness for a very long time. So as hard as this might be to see at times, although God never causes us to be tempted, he might allow us to be tempted so that through that we might experience his power to deliver us from it. And as that passage said, that that might lead us into the joy and the love and the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. As you've, if you've been here at Freshwater for any amount of time, this is where you've heard me say before, holiness is freedom. Holiness isn't a list of rules to shackle you. No, they're meant to set you free. Sin is shackles. Man, I was talking to a preteen about this. Like he know, he even knew, like when he gives into sin, that someday it like holds him back and it's it's killing his soul. He can feel it. It's leading us to death. No, holiness is life. It sets us free to who we were meant to be. God wants to give us good things. And holiness draws us closer to the good thing, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. No, we want holiness. That's why we've even said this whole series comes back to prayer is hallowing God's name. That's our main goal in prayer. Yes, ask. Yes, do all the things we've been talking about. But making it about God and who he is, that's our ultimate answer. All right, so now I'm hoping that we kind of grasp what this passage is trying to say. That it's not saying that God tempts us. He just allows us to be tested because he loves us. There's really two ways in this, in this verse that Jesus is talking about we are tempted and experience evil. And, and one is what we've really been talking about by our own sinful desires, right? So I want to say um, temptation that's from within, right? Temptation that's from within. Jeremiah 17.9, I think we have that one too. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? The heart. This is why we never say, if I'm tempted, but what we should say is when I'm tempted. Can we take that seriously today? 
temptation is coming for you. We live in a broken, fallen world. On this side of heaven, we're going to be tempted. We need to be aware of it. We need to think about it. It's also why this is not praying, as I said before, about willpower. What we need is a new heart. Our heart is sick and deceitful above all things, but Jesus Christ has given you that new heart. That's what scripture, he's taken that old dead heart and made your heart alive in him. And we need to remember that when temptation comes. Our heart's trying to see, our old heart is trying to deceive us, but we've been given a new heart that can resist, that is not a slave, that can be sanctified, that can become more holy, that can become more like Jesus Christ. So here's what we, we don't need more willpower. We need more Christ. More Christ will lead to more willpower. But it's really not even willpower. It's Christ's power in you. It's God's will being worked in you and through you. God's willpower. That's what we need. Oh, man, I feel like a failure when I try to, under my own willpower. But do you know what happens when you start to resist? And you know what's got it working in you? Oh, it's joyful. It's good. It feels good to resist sin that used to own you and know it's Christ working in you. So that's what we have. We have temptation from within our own hearts. But as the passage said, it also says, deliver us from evil. Or as the Greek can be translated, deliver us from the evil one. In case you don't think that's a good translation, even Jesus refers to Satan this way. In, in John 17, 15, when Jesus is having like one of his last prayers with his disciples, do we got that one? It says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is talking about the evil they're going to experience. And he's like, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. The world needs them. Because they're going to take me to everybody in the world, but keep them from the evil one. Church, our own desire is enough to get us to give into temptation. I once had a friend say to me, listen, I don't need any help, help sinning. I'll sin enough all on my own, which is actually true. But listen, it's, worse, it's way worse than that. We must never forget. We must never underestimate. We must never explain away. Do not explain away the fact that you have a very real enemy that hates you, that wants to destroy you, that wants to undo everything about you, that wants to unravel your identity. It's why I've said, I've seen people caught up in sin who literally wanted to kill themselves. And when they got free from the sin, the desire to kill themselves went away. Like, this is, this is spiritual death, but listen, he literally wants to kill you in any way that he can. This is serious. This is true. Now, as Peter says, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and one of his best friends, Peter, says this in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil. In case you're wondering if the Scripture's really talking about the enemy being Satan, your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That is some strong language right there from the guy that Jesus left in charge of the church when he left. Now, here's the thing. We can't blame everything on Satan and demons, right? The example, I don't know why this example always gets used. Whenever I hear somebody talk about this, they're like, well, we can't blame Satan every time our, we get a flat tire on the way to work and be like, Satan, you're not getting me today. No way, Satan, get behind me, right? We can, we can take that too far. But here's the thing. I don't think that's the problem at Freshwater Church. 
that people are going too far with the whole Satan thing. I think that we, we are making too little of who Satan is, the spiritual forces that are against us. We're discounting the very real cosmic spiritual battle that we are in every day. We explain it away with coincidences. We explain it away with science. And listen, I'm not against science. Science is from God. God came up with the idea of science, right? But there are things that happen. We do have a real enemy And he is powerful, and he is clever, and he's been around a long time. Maybe that mental or emotional or physical or spiritual battle that you're in goes a little deeper than you think it does. It's a little more dangerous than you think it is. I told you just this week. this, This is where I say we just treat this as coincidences. Since that I haven't really struggled with much, right? They're kind of, I've been set free kind of in the way in the background now. All of a sudden, I felt like I was going to get hit by a Mack truck. A Mack truck of temptation came after me this week. So much so that TJ and I talked, and I was like, TJ, I'm going to confess, man. I am struggling today. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm on the verge of giving his sin. Will you pray with me? Will you be with me? And he was, he was praying with me, right? Praise God, I, I didn't give in to that temptation. But can you imagine on a week that I'm preaching on temptation, if I was really, really tempted, and then I gave in to those sins, and then I had to get up here and preach? Like, what a powerful tool in the hands of the enemy. You know, one of our best ways to resist temptation is each other, is the community that God has given us. I told you when TJ started moving towards being a pastor of our church, he's about two months out now, a little less. I said, pray for him and Kayla and their family because they're going to come under a spiritual attack. It happens every time. Do you know what happened? They came under spiritual attack. Why in the world would the enemy want TJ and Kayla and their family to grow and then shepherd all of you so that you might grow? No, Satan wants to destroy them, and if he can't pull them away from salvation, he wants to use them to destroy whatever he can. Same thing happened to Tori and Tony on their, their path to, to Tony being an elder. Now, we can live in fear of that, Right? What if we took God at his word and he said, even the testing of temptation is for your, for your sake. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't caused this, but I've allowed it because it's going to grow you. It's going to be like as precious. Your tested faith is going to be as precious as gold. You're at, on the other side of this. You're going to be so glad that I walked through this with you because it grew you in your faith and your glory, glorification of me and your praise and even your joy. So how do we do this? What's our answer to this? Well, there's not one answer, but again, Jesus' brother James has something to say in James 4, 7. He says this, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. James had just talked about sin and temptation. And then he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will, will flee from you. Now, is this James telling us, hey, listen, if you have enough willpower, listen, if you muster up some more holiness, then you'll be able to resist the devil. Then you'll be able to be just fine. Now, he obviously didn't say that. We tr- I think we treat temptation a lot and sin like that a lot. No, James just said, submit yourself to God. By submitting to yourself to God, his rule, who he is, hallowing his name. That's, that's where your answer comes from. Listen, there's, pl- there's plenty of passages that we could go to to turn for guidance for this, for 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 us to look in scripture and see how this plays out. Well, how do I submit to God in this? How do I resist the devil in this way? There's plenty of passages we can turn to. This is going to be one of the last places that we go today. It's got a few more things and then we're going to close. But this is an important one. Because this is a passage that I used to kind of like be a little cynical towards. 
in my younger years, maybe thought was a little cheesy. But as I've grown in my maturity, as Christ has revealed to me more and more my desperate need for him in my temptation and sin, and how, how dangerous my own heart is and how dangerous my very real enemy is, this, this passage has become much more important to me, very relevant to my everyday life. Does anybody have any idea what passage I'm talking about? Turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. A passage I used to think is cheesy and now I think is just absolutely awesome and so important to us. This is a passage that we could spend three weeks in, but I'm going to spend three minutes on. So here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you our passage today. Write it down. I want you to meditate on it this week. When I say meditate, it means more than just read it. It means think about what it's actually saying and then go into prayer with God and talk to him about these things. Talk to him about what he can do through there. Ephesians 6, I want you to turn there. Have you turned there? It's a long passage. I want to walk through it together. I want to wait a second. I want everybody, I want us to read it together. Ephesians 6 says this. Oh, sorry, Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Do you realize this is where you meditate? This is not talking about your strength. This is not about you having enough willpower. Whose strength? Whose might? The Lord's might. The Lord's strength. All of what's coming next is by you realizing that God is the one who is strong for you, who wants to be strong for you, who desires to be strong for you, who wants to protect you, who wants to guard you. See God for who he is, not who the enemy lies to you about who he is. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is scheming against you. Like I said, he's been around a long time. He's really clever. Do not discount the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. How about you meditate on that so you might take this seriously? Is that not ominous? Like, this is, this is serious. Like, th- this, we explain everything away now. Like, every time we, every way we feel, it's run to medication, run to this thing. I listen I, we can talk about it. I'm not against medication in the right circumstances, but what if we're under spiritual attack and we need to turn to the Lord? Do you know, I go through periods of having nightmares. And the nightmare's not like, you know, my family's being murdered or something. Sorry, kids. But like, I can't even remember them. I wake up and I just feel terrible. I feel like I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to pray. I don't want to do anything. And like, it was happening on Sunday mornings. And I started realizing I'm under spiritual attack Listen, maybe this won't work this way for you every time, but every time I've realized, sometimes it's gone on for weeks before I realized what was happening, every time I've stopped and I've prayed and I've asked other people to pray in Christ's name over me, and as I've prayed in Christ's name for protection, they've stopped every single time. So far, without exception, over 10 years. Isn't, you think that's a coincidence? There are spiritual forces attacking you, more powerful than you, cosmic forces of evil in the heavenly places. That means Satan and demons. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That is military language, to stand strong. Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Satan's going to try to lie to you constantly. So we have to come back to truth and stand on that. And having put on the breastplate, 
breastplate of righteousness. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. This might be my favorite one. It doesn't have to be your favorite one. But what does the breastplate protect? Heart. And this breastplate is righteousness. As we talked about before, we had dead hearts with no hope. Christ has given us a new heart. And so now what protects us? It's not just the fact that we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ of our sins and be made new. Praise God for that. But now we are protected by the righteousness of Christ. God now looks at us as righteous. So we are guarded. We are protected by the righteousness of Christ. That is our armor. And so when we feel like we're not enough, when we feel like we don't have it, when we feel like we're sinful, well, yeah, that's true. Go to God and realize that the righteousness of Christ covers you. You can go to, you can go to God with confidence. That's what protects our heart, the righteousness of Christ. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Listen, that, that's how we stand firm. It's the gospel. It's remembering what Jesus Christ has done and accomplished on your face. It's his work, not your work, right? It's that he died on the cross to forgive your sins. And you stand firm in that. Or you got shoes on or you run. It's not cowardly to run if you're running for Christ. What does Christ say about sexual immorality? Flee. Flee. Don't move in the other direction. Turn around and run from sexual immorality as fast as you can. Flee. By the power of the gospel, we know how to run in Jesus Christ and we'll have because we have peace with God. 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here's the thing. I've, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Most of the time, I think Satan accuses us with things that we've actually done or thought. Right, so he's throwing these darts at you. You're not good enough. You've done this. This is who you are. Guilt, shame, pouring. You're alone. You're isolated. No one cares. No one loves you. God doesn't love you. How can anybody love you? Like these are all things that a lot of them have partial truths to them. That's why we hold up our shield of faith, our faith in Christ. The accuser cannot accuse us. He might try to condemn us, but in Christ there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no accusations can actually pierce the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. That's your shield. Stand on that faith when those accusations come and call them lies. Because they're true without Jesus Christ. But you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Go to him. As Jesus said, ask for forgiveness and accept that you are new in Christ and move forward in your faith in Christ. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Listen, the heart of salvation, right? Protect your mind. Guard your mind by remembering that you have been saved in Jesus Christ, not your work, his work, right? Protect your mind from going to those places that you're not good enough, that you can't, that you're this person, that whatever the accusations are. But you know, the only offensive weapon in this is the word of God. Everything else is about defending against the evil one. Do you know why your pastors tell you to read the word of God? It's your only real weapon against the enemy to slay his lies, to kill those threats, to, to do away with the shame and guilt that comes with forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. We have to have the word of God. Like I said before in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, my escape was actually the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The word of the truth in the word of God would come to my heart and my mind. I would fight back my temptation with that and then I would what would I do? I would pray. I would talk to God. God, protect me. Show me the way out. Help me to see that that's a lie and you are the truth. Help me to believe that right now in this moment when I want to give in to my sin, which is the next part, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is crying out. It's almost begging. It's passionately calling out to God at all times. Listen, if you have 
habitual sin in your life, this is hard to do in the midst of your temptation when, when you want to give in to sin. For, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, some of you might know what I'm, but when the temptation comes and it feels inevitable, anybody know what I'm talking about? It feels like it's coming and you can only hold it off for so long. In that moment, it's hard to pray and actually mean it. So we pray again and again and again. That's where we call on help and ask other people to pray. Ask them to cry out to God, intercede for us. We ask Christ to intercede for us. We ask the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. We cry out to God, help. Listen, not after. How many of us have given into sin and then cry to God about how awful we are? Listen, sometimes we do need to just be absolutely broken and weep before God because of our sin. Cry out to God before it happens when you feel like you can't resist and ask him to help you act, believe the promises that you can in him, not in you, in him. Praying at all times with prayer and supplication. Church, that's how we fight. That's why I want you to meditate on it. Don't you dare believe that you're beyond temptation or this is not going to be you. You need this as much as anybody else in the room. We pray diligently. We pray constantly. We pray humbly. We pray faithfully. We pray boldly as we go confidently before the throne of grace so that we might receive help. Lastly, how do we fight? Ephesians 6, do you realize in Matthew 6 is how we fight in this prayer that Jesus gave us? This will take 30 seconds. Go back to Matthew 6. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen, how are we delivered from evil? We fight by confessing our sin. Knowing that we are forgiven, that God wants to forgive us, that, that he wants to take away the accusations of Satan, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation. He, he wants us to, like, to go to other people on behalf of their sins so, so that we, almost, we might forgive them also, so that we are enslaved by our anger and our bitterness and our resentment. It sets us free so that we can actually move forward, so that we can fight. Verse 11 Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, we need to pray for our physical needs, but we also need to pray for God's protection, that he would guard us, that he would be with us. God wants to protect you. It's right here. He's telling you how you fight. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven uh, as it is on earth. We seek God's kingdom first. If we seek God's kingdom first by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the word of God, we will walk in God's will. And if we're walking in God's will, we will not give in to the one who wants to rule over us. Genesis 4 says that Satan and sin want to rule over you. No, you go to the rule of the king and his kingdom and you'll be protected. He won't rule over you because you're ruled over by God. And then finally, verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We worship God. We hallow his name. We make him holy. We glorify his name with everything in us, knowing God's presence and his holiness is poison to Satan and sin. God's holiness in you is poison to sin. His holiness burns away evil. Worship God. Go to him personally, confidently, and he'll burn away the power of those things that are trying to own you because Jesus Christ has already conquered the power. You're no longer enslaved. Christ is your answer. In short, you know what the answer to this battle is? Prayer. Prayer rooted in the word of God so we're preaching the truths of who God is and asking him to make them true in our lives. That's how we pray. It is through a personal relationship and spiritual encounter with the God of the universe. That's how we fight. So church, seek him and seek his kingdom first and you will find him there. You will find what he, you need there because God is powerful.
And he's way more powerful than all these things. As we have every week, we're going to close with a prayer. Turn to 1 Peter 5. We're going to close with this. We already read one verse out of this passage. We're going to read in 1 Peter 5. And if you've been with us, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read it. We're going to read it together. And then I'm going to give you two or three minutes to pray. Talk to God about your temptation. Confess sin where you need to confess sin. Accept forgiveness where you need to accept forgiveness. Forgive others where you need to forgive. But the reason we're reading this, remember, as we read this, you don't even have to start praying right away. Meditate on what it's saying. You can pray whatever you want in prayer. But if we root our prayers in the word of God, we will pray rightly. We will pray the word of God. We will pray the promises of God, and those will stand forever. Your feelings will not, but the promises of God. So we look at what this passage is saying and learn to incorporate the prayers in Scripture into our prayers because there is power through the Holy Spirit in those things. So I'm going to read this, and I'm going to give you two or three minutes to pray. I want you to talk to God right where you are, and then I'll come and I'll close us corporately. So I'm going to read this, and then you just pray right where you are. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 through 11. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Take some time to talk to God, church.